My name is Reese. I'm privileged to serve as one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship. Uh, you probably heard the announcement, or if not, we have some child care over on this side of the room, or on that side of the wall, uh, so you can take advantage of that if you would like. But if not, we would uh, love to have the little ones with us in the service here. Have you, have you ever put together a puzzle that was very difficult, you know, the little tiny pieces, maybe a thousand piece or a two thousand piece puzzle? Have you ever done a puzzle that was uh, pretty hard? Say, say like a lighthouse, picture of a lighthouse, all the way in the corner. What's the rest of the puzzle? Ocean and blue sky. And so when you're putting it together, say you get an edge piece. You have a fairly good idea maybe where that goes. At least it's going to go on the border, so you might be able to place it on a table where you think it might go. But say you get a blue piece. It's just pure blue. You don't know if it's sky or if it's ocean. Does it go here, there? You don't know what to do with it. It doesn't seem to fit, so you throw it away. <laughs> See, we, uh, I think we often look at life that way, and we come across things that don't make sense, and we just want to chuck it. This morning, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 3, continuing our series in Ecclesiastes. And we're going to explore why things happen the way they do and what does God have to say about it? What is his perspective on it? This is one of the things that the author is going to tackle. How does this all fit together? If you look at the title on your outline, God makes everything in life fit beautifully. If you remember two weeks ago, Warren opens up in chapter 1. The, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes has, has done an experiment and he comes up with the final result that all of life is vanity. If you remember the uh, sort of the, the, the capture, the picture, one-liner that Warren had said, I'll read it to you. Life on earth is all about unsatisfying, endless repetition of old things that nobody will remember. Nothing you do will last, and at the end you die. And you can't fix it, so your best bet is to enjoy it. But you can't, because you can't please God. Then the next week, Peter led us through chapter 2, which was the experiment itself. So the author does all of these things, tests life with pleasure and money and all these things, and then he ends up with the same result. Where we're at in the book of Ecclesiastes is where he's going to start doing some reflection on some of these results of his findings. And if you look at your outline, we're going to cover today's section, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 17, with three main points. Life is like a puzzle. There's a place for each piece. We're going to ask, what is the point? And that life is not fair. If you have one of the Bibles that was passed out, you can turn to page 357. If you have your own Bible, it's Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 17. And I will read it for us. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? 
I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That is which already has been. That, is, that which is, is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Life is like a puzzle. There's a place for each piece. If you notice, he starts off very big in this chapter. Words like everything and every matter. I think you understand. Everything is everything. Everything you can think of. And then you notice there's a pattern here, verses 2 to 8, of couplets. There's a time for this, a time for that, and a time on and on and on. There are 14 different couplets here. And I learned a new word this week. There's an actual term for this. It's called a merism. And a merism, sounds like you know what a merism is, <laughs> ooing in the front row. A merism is something where you give two ends of a spectrum to mean the whole thing. So if you said, I searched high and low for my keys and I couldn't find them. It doesn't mean you just search high and you just search low. It means you search everywhere. That's a merism. And so that's what's happening here is he's talking about all of life, everything, a time to be born, a time to die, find, lose, and so forth, everything that one might experience in life. That is what he's talking about here. So overall, he's talking about life and then how it fits together because there's a time for everything. There's a time for that, he says. You know, I used to read this section and think this wording of time to do something was kind of like, looking at your watch and saying, oh, it's time for me to go out to meet with a friend or it's time to brush my teeth. It's not, I don't think that's what he's talking about here because that doesn't really work with the things that you don't want to have happen. Right? You don't want to have a time to kill and a time for war. You don't set your clock to those kinds of things. So what's going on? So he's mentioning life's components or in the puzzle illustration, the pieces of life. These might seem like choices you're making, and some of them are, but I don't believe he's necessarily talking about that. Again, he's talking about things that we experience in life, and he's trying to paint a picture of all of these different pieces of life that we experience at one point or another. These may be a result of choices that you make, other people make, or that's just the way that it is. Verse 1 is going to be key to our understanding of all of these things and understanding that the point, life is like a puzzle. Notice again, everything and every matter, these two things, everything. This means that there's no randomness to life. Everything fits. It's not just meaninglessness, um, pure meaninglessness. And then a time for every matter. 
Some other translations say there's an appointed time for every matter, and that may help us color it in, get the picture a little bit better. They mean the same thing. It means that there is a transcendence to life. That means there's something greater going on, going on behind the scenes. It means that what we see in our daily life is may be described as meaningless, meaningless, endless repetition. Think of Warren's quote. But what's really going on, there's more going on behind the curtain, what God is up to. A few years ago, before I was uh, married, I was living with some roommates, and it was a, uh, a Saturday, and it was my birthday. Now, every Saturday, we as roommates would pretty much do something, so it would not be out of the question to say, hey, what are we doing tonight? You know, Saturday night, what's the plan? So we were having lunch, and there was no plan that night. And of course, it's my birthday. I'm not going to be like, hey, let's uh, celebrate something. <laughs> but nothing had happened. No, no hurt anything. So I asked my roommate, you know, I didn't care. I, was, I just wanted to figure out what I was going to do Saturday night. So I asked him, hey, what's going on? Anything happening tonight? And, and he got like all squirmy and wiggly, and he wasn't really good at keeping a secret. <laughs> and, and I realized, okay, there's more going on than meets the eye here. They had planned a party, surprise party, and hadn't told me about it. This is kind of what it's like in all of life. There is more going on behind the scenes. More going on than what we realize. And the Bible tells us that God is in control of all things, working it together to make this beautiful picture. It's like a puzzle. There's a place for every piece. So what does this mean for us? It means, one thing, is that life is not going to go the way that you want because you're not in control ultimately. You're not in control of the timetable or the orchestration of your life. How it all fits together is not up to you. A few years ago, Becky and I were considering buying another house here in town and moving to another house. We spent a lot of time organizing the finances, looking at the house, having people look at it for us, talking to our realtor, Finally made the big scary decision, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and you know, write a contract making a proposal for an offer. All kinds of crazy things happened in there after that. But our realtor said at one point, yes, you have got the house. And it was a verbal commitment. We signed our end of the paperwork. They had to sign their, the seller had to sign their end of the paperwork to make it, you know, legal. So we're, we're just, you know, all nervous and everything, kind of excited. An hour before they were supposed to go in and sign the paperwork, a realtor calls and says, you're never going to believe this. They've just decided to renege and give it to somebody else. So it's like, why? Why did that happen? Why all that effort, all that work? Now it's gone. Somebody else is enjoying that house. This is like getting one of those blue puzzle pieces of life. How does this fit? I don't know. How do you handle when things happen like that in life? Could be, I mean, that wasn't that hard. Could be harder things. But there are pieces in life that we don't understand why things happen the way they do. How does this fit together? How do you deal with that? Well, one thing that we shouldn't do is try to be the ultimate interpreter of the situation because we don't know. Like, why did that happen? I don't know. Why did this other person get the house and we didn't? Why did they say no to us? Why did they renege on their offer? I don't know. But to answer the question of what we should do, I think one great example is looking and thinking about Joseph in the Bible. 
If you're familiar with his story, if you're not, I'll give you a little bit of a, a recap. In Genesis, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, a great family. Sold into slavery. In slavery, he was seduced by a woman. He did the right thing, ran away, but then he got punished for doing the right thing, falsely accused, and sent to prison, even, for doing the right thing. And in prison, he had an opportunity to get out of prison. I mean, he was in there years. He had an opportunity to get out of prison if a friend had just said something to the king, a few words, and remembered him, he would have gotten out of prison. But that didn't happen. Another puzzle piece. Eventually, he gets out of prison, and God does a beautiful thing. And if you remember what he said to his brothers at the end of his life, after he looked out on all those things that had happened, remember what he said? You can write it down, Genesis 50, 20. And you should memorize it. He said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That was his perspective on all those pieces. But he didn't say that. Probably may not have said that right in the moment. So in the moment, it may not be clear why things are happening the way they are, but we have to trust that, that God is working it all together for good. And I want to I encourage you that when you face those times to think of and to pray to God, think of Philippians 4.7, where Paul says to pray for a peace that passes understanding. So you can have peace in the midst of those why questions because it passes, surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense to us because we cannot see how everything fits together, but God does. So pray to Him and to have peace, because the peace is not rooted in our understanding, but in God who makes everything fit together. So God's the one who makes it all make sense. So life is like a puzzle, but there's still some questions out there remaining. How many of you have had the wonderful experience of a customer service phone call? It's such a blessing, isn't it? Last week, I was trying to do something that I think, one minute, I was going to change the password to one of my bank accounts online. It shouldn't take very long. I got on there, and you know, I already had a pretty decent, I thought, secure password, but I go on there to change it. To pick a different one, I'm using different letters and numbers and not just a word from the dictionary. You know, I know you're not supposed to do that. Or your birth date. Don't do those. So I put in there, click the submit button. Error. Password too common. What? I picked a very unique password. Okay, let me try again. Try it again. Password too common. All right, this time I'm going to use capital letters, lowercase letters, special characters, and numbers. And I'm going to get it really long. So I'm writing it down so in case I don't forget this thing. Click the submit button. Error. Password too common. <laughs> like, what is going on here? I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay. 800 number. On the phone. Do, do, do. And hold music, everything. So, guy goes on. He's like, boy, that's really strange. I've never had that happen before. What's going on? And, you know, have you tried lowercase letters? Yes. Have you tried special characters? Yes. Have you tried longer characters? Yes. Have you tried this and that? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. He's like, wow, I really don't know. Let me, uh, let me, let me talk to my supervisor. Okay, so while I'm on hold, of course, I'm just like trying more and trying more passwords and trying more passwords. Finally, I get so frustrated, I thought, I'm just going to choose the password, having trouble. Do, 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 boop, password accepted. 
I'm like, I cannot wait for this guy to get a hold, back off a hold so I can tell him about this. And so he gets back off a hold. I, I, I'm sorry. We just, we're having, we'll have to submit a trouble ticket. We don't know. I'm like, it's okay. I got a password now. I chose having trouble and it worked. So, you know, and after that was done, I realized and had this question. What was the point of the past hour? Like a whole precious hour of life was spent trying to choose a password. What was the point? Oh boy, life is about unsatisfying endless repetition and we're often wondering how does it all fit together. If you see on your outline, it says that there's verses 10 through 15. There's actually, this verse should be verse 9 through 15. I somehow missed that. But verse 9 starts us off this section with a question. What does the worker gain from his toil? Another way to ask that is what's the point? What do you get out of these things that you do? Or phone calls you have to make. This is a question that was asked last week, verse 22, and at different points throughout Ecclesiastes. What does the worker gain from his toil? What is the point? I think verses 10 to 15 are going to give us some answers to this. And it's all about what God is doing. So answering the question, what is the point? What is God doing? Three things I want to highlight. God makes everything beautiful. That's the first one. God makes everything beautiful. We're going to see in verses 10 and 11. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So God gives the work. He makes it beautiful. And he makes it beautiful in his time or in its time. And so that means it may not be right away. We may not ever be able to see the answer to how he's making us beautiful. But he is making it beautiful. And so he talks about the work and the lives that we have. So consider the work that God has given you to do, the life and the experiences that you have. Maybe, maybe it's uh, the, the work from 9 to 5 or your schoolwork if you're a student. And you might be struggling with what's the point or how does this fit? And I would encourage you again to remember this point that God makes everything beautiful. It was no accident that you are in the place that you are in. He's making it beautiful even though you may not be able to see how. Second point. This is verse 11, the second half of verse 11. The lack of clarity is on purpose. Lack of clarity is on purpose. God has done this on purpose. There's some debate among scholars. The, uh, the line that says, He has put eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. There's some debate on what that actually means. But there's one thing that's common to all the different interpretations, is that, we are not God, and He is. And the purpose that, and, and life has been, I should say that life has been set up in such a way by God that we cannot see things from His perspective. Again, He sees how it all fits together. We don't. So that's the point. So the lack of clarity is on purpose. We cannot answer all of the why questions to life, but God can. So we shouldn't get dismayed when we don't know the answers because that was on purpose. We're not supposed to have all the answers all the time. And in application, we need to fight against despair and to trust God rather than our interpretation of the situation. I've been finding it very helpful lately to just say out loud, it's a time for this or that whenever I'm thinking about something or disappointed in something. Yep, yeah? It's a time 
to lose my keys and try to find them. <laughs> it's a time to make a phone call to customer service. Fight against temptation and despair. Thirdly, to enjoy life because God is up to something. This is cool. Enjoy life because God is up to something. This is verses 12 to 15. We should be joyful and do good, he says, because God is doing something. Verse 12, I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift. God has given a great gift that we can have life. You are all here this morning and enjoying life. It is God's gift. What does this mean? I think it means two things, this idea that God has given a gift. It means that he's given us many blessings, many, many blessings, tremendous amount of blessings. And what do we do with those? We are to enjoy them, to do good. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't live your life the way you think other people should live them, live your life. Live the way God wants you to live your life. Enjoy your life. He's given you giftings. He's given you opportunities to serve and to sacrifice for others for his sake. Use those things. Enjoy those things. He has blessed you. That's one way. I think another way is that we get the knowledge that God is up to something. You know, when something happens in life, we're not just left with a, well, I don't know why, and it's just hopeless and meaningless. We have no thing other than maybe a platitude to say. No, we know, we have the knowledge that God is up to something. And if you look at verse 14, it's something big. It says, I perceive whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. So he's not just working. He's working on an eternity scale. Every part of life fits into this eternal fabric. And that's exciting. I probably have shared with you guys before that a few years ago struggled through some significant depression. And it felt like every day in that one period that I was getting a blue piece every day. How does this fit? I don't know why. What's going on here in life? Why, why is this happening to me? And there was one truth that helped me more significantly than others. And it was this, that God is up to something. That life will not always be the same. Right now there's a time for depression and blue pieces. But that doesn't mean that's always going to be the same in the future. There's a time for something else. God is up to something, and he's going to work it out. And that was tremendously encouraging, just the fact alone that it will be different. So where do you feel stuck, or do you feel stuck, and need to operate on this truth that things will be different? God is up to something. Where do you need to enjoy life? Enjoy the gift that God has given you. Live life in anticipation. Or maybe you need to ask, what's going on here? What in the world's God up to? I can't wait to find out. And also to remember that what he's doing is eternal. So maybe the next time you have an opportunity for something, speak to somebody, serve somebody, or think about something, think about it in the eternal fabric. Wow, this is big. So what's the point? Remember that we are not to know everything from the beginning to the end. God has obscured that on purpose, but he is working it all together to make a beautiful picture. Now, a very natural question comes up. At least I think it does. It's all nice to say that everything fits together well and that God is working it together for this beautiful picture. But what about real life? Right? Real life is painful. 
Real life is unfair. That's our third point. Life is not fair. What about these bad times? If you look at verses 16 and 17, he says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there was wickedness. So justice gets replaced by wickedness, and the good things and righteousness get replaced by wickedness? That's not fair. That doesn't make sense. We live in this world where things are unfair. Not only do we face monotonous repetition, we experience unfairness in life. Right? Why do some people get health and other people have to suffer as their bodies are breaking down? Or disease? Why do some people get to get married and have children and other people just pray, have to pray about it? Why do some people have great, well-off parents that take care of them in every single way and others have just tremendous baggage and parents that don't help them at all? There's an unfairness to life. There's something wrong with life. It's not fair and it's not the way that God initially designed it to be. But God isn't there looking at this unfairness and just throwing up his hands saying, I don't know what to do. Sorry. Sorry, people. That's not what he's doing. What does he do in the midst of this unfairness? Again, verses 16 and 17 give us some answers. He says that in 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. So God, our hope, is that he will bring true justice. There's some justice now, but ultimately true justice will happen. So we can take comfort in that. Secondly, he ends with, there's a time for every matter and every work, which is how he started off this this whole thing in in verse 1. And God is going to work it all together for good. So somehow we may not see that, or we probably won't see it in many ways, but we have to hope that he is going to do it. He's going to work it for good. So he's going to bring true justice. And even though there's these bad things, there's a time for them in God's sovereign plan. But these things, these things are true and they point us to something better and more ultimate, a a much better answer to why life is unfair and its solution. And that points us ahead to Jesus. When Jesus comes, He embodies unfairness completely. He dies for the sin of the world and this is how God ultimately deals with the unfairness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 captures it so well. It says this, For our sake, He made Him, it says God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, there are many injustices in life and unfairnesses in life, and we experience a lot of them. But I'll tell you what, Jesus experienced the worst injustice and unfairness there has ever been. Can you imagine being perfect, never doing anything wrong, and then you get criminalized and killed and tortured as if you had done everything wrong. That is unfair. And it's also unfair 
that those who believe in Jesus, you and me, if we trust in Him, that we get life because we didn't deserve it. So Jesus experiences true unfairness and injustice. And so do we. But He does it so that we have a good gift. And that is the ultimate fulfillment and the answer to life's unfairness is that it's found in Jesus. I want to show you guys a little video to uh, illustrate some more of this unfairness and the sacrifice that is made on our behalf. So why don't we watch this for a second. You often hear mothers say they want to stop time when they have a new baby. Uh-oh. I love it when she falls asleep on me. But for 24-year-old Ashley Bridges, time is running out. She's like my little sunshine, and it's like nightmare. When Bridges was 10 weeks pregnant with now two-month-old Paisley, she was diagnosed with bone cancer. Her doctors recommended she start chemotherapy immediately, but she would have to terminate her pregnancy. There's no way I could kill a healthy baby because I'm sick. At eight months pregnant, a few days before these photos were taken, the young mom, who also has a son from a previous relationship, learned delaying chemo had allowed the cancer to spread. And that's basically when they told me that it was terminal. Bridges was told she needed to deliver Paisley immediately so she could start treatment. Even with multiple rounds of chemotherapy, she was given less than a year to live. I felt like I tried so hard to keep Paisley safe and, you know, do the minimum to keep her healthy. The thought that, you know, I'm I'm not going to see her grow up. It's really hard. The reality of the situation isn't lost on six-year-old Brayden. His exact words were, if you pass away... I want to come with you. Friends and family take turns helping Bridges care for Paisley during the day. Her fiancé, who is in the military, takes the night shift. None of them have second-guessed her decision to place her daughter's life above her own. She's a real-life superhero, to be honest with you. Bridges, too, has no regrets and insists she still believes... Everything happens for a reason. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here and she is. You gonna smile for us, Paisley? In Wildemar, Christine Lazar, CBS 2 News. <clears throat> wow. You heard the, the announcer there at the end. Everything happens for a reason. So true. So true. And it's, it's also true that life is unfair. It's unfair that a 24-year-old would have bone cancer and have to give up her life for her baby. It's not, it's not fair. But what she does for her little one is a picture of what God does for us, that we could go free and he takes on the guilt and the unfairness and the injustice that should have happened to us. Jesus is our ultimate answer to life and its unfairness. So when we ask what's the point, we must see that Jesus is the fulfillment. If you look on your outline, those three things under what's the point, Jesus fulfills them all. 
He makes everything beautiful. All the crud, the disappointments, the missed opportunities, the time wasted, the pain, the losses, all of them are made beautiful in Jesus. We can thank God for all the pieces, the puzzle pieces of life, the edge pieces that make sense and the blue pieces that don't. We can thank him because he makes it all beautiful. Secondly, he makes life's purpose clear. Although there's a lot of things that we don't understand why. But one thing that is clear is that Jesus died so that we could have a new life. And that is crystal clear. So live a life that believes in him. Have forgiveness of sin. He gave it for you. He gave up his life for you. Thirdly, Jesus fulfills this idea that God is up to something big and so we can enjoy life. The Bible tells us that God wants us to become like Jesus. So we can be thankful for everything in life, like I just said. He's up to something big in every area of life, good and bad. Customer service call, baby dying or mother dying. We can say to God, I don't know what you're up to, but I want to trust in you. Because what he does is eternal. In verse 14, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. What Jesus has done is done. And that's our hope. So even though the world we live in is unfair, Jesus embodies unfairness so that we who trust in him can have eternal life now forevermore. God is working everything together to fit beautifully in its time. He knows how every piece fits together. And those who trust in Jesus will one day get to see the ultimate fulfillment of that beauty all put together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning.